Well, we did it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast. Episode 150, the podcast where we talk about culture, relationships, and dating from a male and a female perspective. But this will be the last episode, at least for a short while, where there will be a male perspective, unless Eliza mm. is planning to bring on a couple of male guests. Uh, as I'm sure many of the regular listeners will know, I'll be leaving the podcast after this. So this is nice. Last time I'm doing that introduction. Feels weird. Aww. Feels good. It's going to feel so weird taking over the intro part. I think that's going to be the hardest adjustment as well. <laughs> I think you got to you got to make your own intro. I don't think we can we can do that. Yeah. Well. I shouldn't There's say no we way. anymore. I don't, I don't think you can do that anymore. No. Um, no. So I guess it would be welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where I talk about <laughs> where it's me <laughs> from a female perspective. It's my that. opinion yeah. and it's fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone has any ideas for Eliza's new intro. I think we could we could get a new jingle as well. I think revamp the whole thing. I should. Yeah, stop, how did I you get that jingle? Um, <laughs> our old editor Steve actually found it. So oh, shout out to Steve if you're listening. Uh, it's a nice jingle, isn't it? It's... Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. Um, that, before yeah. we get into the podcast, which today we're just going to do a general reflection on 150 episodes, three and a half years almost of podcasting, what we've learned, uh, whether we've fundamentally changed our minds in any way, shape or form, and maybe some final thoughts or final messages for, particularly for me, uh, for our listeners. But before we get into that, I'm in the midst of my Australian tour, the first stand-up tour I have done yeah. since 2019, and it's going really well. Big thank you to everyone who came out in so far Perth, Melbourne, and Adelaide. Great shows, uh, really good energy, really loving the shows, and uh, the next two are Gold Coast and Brisbane. Gold Coast is selling really well. It could sell out. Brisbane, yeah. uh, there'll probably be tickets at the door, but it should be a really good crowd as well, so Come along to those. Um, Gold Coast is at uh, it's called a, a place called Hota, Home of the Arts, and and Brisbane's at the Sit Down Comedy Club. Then Canberra the week after that at the Street Theatre. Then Newcastle, Newcastle Comedy Club, and finally Sydney. Sydney will probably sell out, so it's just the last section of the theatre that's available right now. So go to neilcolhatka.com/tickets, and particularly the Sydney show. That's going to be huge. We're filming that. It's going to be a special. Wow. So come along That's to so the show. Exciting. And yeah, I've been really enjoying these. Um, getting a few Congrats. local opening acts for each of the shows. And there's a guy called James McCann. Shout out to him. He opened in Adelaide. He is brilliant. So go check oh. him out. Uh, he's a really good comedian. He's moving to America soon, actually. So oh, to pursue it. Or just for fun. I think there's other uh, uh, a bit of both. I think there, wow. there might be some family. That he has there and he he got a job at a, a radio station or something like that or a podcast. Wow. Something like that. But he's moving from Adelaide to uh, America. What a crazy opportunity. How exciting is that? Also, speaking of intros, when you – because I've only seen your show, the um, – what is it called? The, the one with the multiple comedians. Is it Untamed? Yeah. The, yeah. 
Well, how, when you're doing your solo show, how do you introduce yourself? Like, do you just walk on the stage and go straight into character <laughs> act or like? What I've been doing this time is the, uh, the opening acts have been, in, so I'll introduce the first opening act and then they introduce the next one and then they'll introduce me. Oh, yeah. love it. But previous years I've had uh, either an intro track or I just have, if I've toured with a manager, they'll often introduce me or sometimes even the sound guy will just do it. I usually have a track as a backup. It's never as rock star when a comedian comes on stage. In fact, I find it quite quite cringe when comedians come on stage as though they're rock stars. They're like, (laughs) everybody get ready, make some noise. And it's just a dude being like, oh, I went to the shop yesterday. <laughs> it's, it's not <laughs> it's appropriate. So you don't come on as a rock star. You got you to hype up so the crowd true. a little bit. I do a little bit of that, but um, yeah. some of the ones on Netflix, oh, I just cringe so hard when <laughs> it's just some dude in like a t- crinkled T-shirt and jeans and there's a DJ being like, everybody make some noise. <laughs> it's the guy that you saw That's- talking on a podcast. <laughs> and he's going to be mellow. <laughs> Exactly. He's so gonna, scream your loudest. He's going to talk about some introspective dark thoughts. Yeah. It's going to be deadpan. So, it's going to yeah, be dark. Yeah. Start screaming. That's so funny. Um, Adrian at the moment is writing his his wedding speech and it's been, he's been doing it for like fucking months and he's struggling. It's um, speech writing and speeches is not his thing. So my dad was trying to help him because my dad's very big on speeches, has done millions of speeches around the world, blah, blah, blah. And your dad's done everything. <laughs> what hasn't he done? He's going to be the next prime minister. Well, we should, yeah, vote Paul Wilson 2024. <laughs> um, but he was telling Adrian like firstly, Never, ever have your speech printed out in front of you. Rule number one, if you need something, have a mind map or bullet points. And Adrian was like, I would rather die. <laughs> There's no way I could get through a speech with just bullet points or a mind map. Absolutely not. Anyway, I was talking to dad about it because he was talking about how he used to do um, like trainings for people that were doing speeches or anything, whatever. And he said that his tactic always when he goes out to a crowd, even if it's 2,000, 10,000, whatever people, he'd stand on the stage, walk out, stand on the stage, silently look at them for like 10 seconds and the first thought that pops into his head, no matter how weird, that's the theme of the speech. <laughs> Just um, And I was like, well, wow. I might try that one day. <laughs> see, and he does the whole speech just on the first thought. That comes well, he's got, he's got a concept already. Um, okay. obviously like he'll be talking about, I don't know, some new age spirituality or finding some, I don't know. And, um, but he, dad is a, dad is an eccentric, um, man. And he's very like, despite what he does and the books he's written, he's not a hippy dippy person in the slightest, um, at all. So he, yeah, he's a funny guy as well. So I don't know how it goes. I've heard a couple of his speeches here and there. They're pretty good. Um, so yeah, well, does he have, a, a, little does he have a website or does he, do we know when his next, <laughs> is he doing a TikTok? He's, he is long time retired. He calls himself the ex guru now. That's like his, that's like his handle and everything. Ex guru. <laughs> oh, that would have been, uh, Just that would have been an event now. seeing Paul Wilson in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. When I, um, when I, I think I might've said this before, but when I dated a guy, um, and he wasn't, um, I found out 
a few weeks into dating him, he wasn't really uh, with it. He was really struggling with his mental health and he was going through some kind of like manic um, episode and he had a fixation on my dad. So he'd be messaging me at 4am, just watch seven hours straight of your dad on YouTube. <laughs> like I've ordered all his books. He ran into my dad, ran into my dad on the street and was like, I know your daughter, I'm dating your daughter. And my dad was like, who is this? <laughs> who is this man? And please don't talk to him again. <laughs> he's just a big fan. He wasn't even a fan of you. He just didn't even know. You yeah. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Love that. Intriguing and very interesting man. Um, I'm <laughs> sure I'll meet him at the wedding. So yes. Yeah. You, you I should have said this before the podcast. Do you mind moving to your right a little bit so you're in the center of the? This is the last one. We got to get it. We got to. <laughs> we got to all be centered. I know. Looking for thing. And I've got shit behind me as well. I'm sorry. I've got so much stuff on my wedding. It's. I mean, I'm not using that lamp in my wedding, but I have shit everywhere. That's I need a bigger house. About three weeks away, isn't it? Yeah, it's so crazy how fast it's coming. It doesn't. It's I don't even feel like it's happening. Everyone's like, "You must be so stressed," and I'm like, "When does the stressful part kick in?" And uh, now I've said it. I know I'm just gonna have a meltdown or something the, day <laughs> the before, next week. Yeah. Yeah. A bridezilla or something like that. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like you'll, you'll laugh at this story. So I was um, I was out with Andrea and there was this lookout we were supposed to go to. It's near Taronga Zoo in Mossman. And oh, yeah. it was after we'd gone to dinner. And then you're supposed to overlook the harbour and it's very nice and romantic. I think and I know it. A, Is it like the amphitheatre one? Kind of? Uh, like it's like a hill with little a, steps going down and a little mini wharf? Um, there's a few around there. Yeah, there's a few. It's one. It might have been one of those. But um, there was a boat party going on really close by, and it was playing just the most, <laughs> the most explicit gangster rap. <laughs> <you can think. laughs> so we're trying to look at the at the harbor, you know, looking at the night sky, beautiful city lights, and then all we hear is like to the window, to the wall, <laughs> to the sweatshirt. <laughs> I was like, I want to be on that party. That sounds like a bunch of millennials my yes. age. Yes. What a change. from Western <laughs> Sydney. You know what I love? I, I feel like for all my vendors, like my the catering, the alcohol, the florists, like everything, um, decorations, I've just said, do what you want. I don't care. I trust you. Like my florist is like, can you be more specific? And I'm like, mm, here's the vibe, but I don't know anything about flowers. Literally just do what you want. But when it came to the DJ, I, she was like, just tell me what vibe you like or what genre is your favorite. No, like I wrote a full like 200 song <laughs> set list highlighting my favorites and my no list was so long. I was like, no Pitbull, no Taylor Swift, no Ed Sheeran, no YMCA, no Macarena, Absolutely, under no circumstances, no Cotton Eye Joe, no Nutbush. <laughs> like, I had this whole list. Anyways, no Pitbull. No, I hate Pitbull. Um, I think you guys should say your vows to Pitbull. <laughs> I think I might. <laughs> That's a pretty terrible idea. I'm but anyway, I sent it off to them. And yes, I do. <laughs> they haven't replied. <laughs> so... I hope I still have a DJ. I don't know. Because I was like, is it good to be vague? Or I thought I was being helpful. But now I'm like, maybe I... I've scared them and maybe that was a bit intense. So what? then I said another one being like, just do what you want. I don't actually care. I was just telling my favorites. <laughs> Still haven't replied. Surely you're allowed to tell the DJ this is what I don't want you to play. I don't know. I mean, not that part. I think that part's easy. Like having a list of 20 songs not to play. I think it was the ones me saying what to play <laughs> was probably a little bit too extensive. But Isn't that the, uh, 
Well, if you need an emergency DJ, uh, I'll get Max. Please, yeah. <laughs> In fact, if anyone will wants actually a, a DJ MC wedding duo on the cheap, hit me up. Me and Max <laughs> will do it. Max is so good. I, Adrian and I loved him. He brings such, obviously so do you, but he brings such good vibes <laughs> and his choice of music, like before your show and everything, it was so good. I loved it. And the whole time he was like, everyone was just like chilling quietly, waiting for it to start with their drinks, chit chat. And he's like in the corner, like <laughs> having the best it. time ever. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. He's oh. a cute little DJ mouse. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. No, he's, yeah. he's such a good guy. And Doing real good things. Going to be a big comedian, I think, one day. Yeah. So well, that's cool that you guys would um, you guys would do that um, like an MC DJ duo. I feel like that's such a good idea. Like w- the one thing I've learned is that wedding industries is such a good industry yeah. to get into. Like it's just I can't even believe. Just like flowers can cost. Like I went. I went on the sting with flowers. Like I've got probably half the amount of flowers that a normal wedding has and it's still three grand. And like my friends getting married later than me of spending double that. And I'm just like, that's one day. Obviously they had to buy the flowers and stuff, but she she's booked out. They've got Wednesday wedding, Thursday wedding, Friday night, a Saturday and a Sunday. Like that's, and I've got the, probably the cheapest. That's like mind blowing. Get into it. Wow. Get into the wedding industry, anyone, if you're like, what do I do? It's, it's wild. It is, especially if you're, uh, well, now, ethnic families spend an exorbitant amount of money on weddings. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, money they often don't have. Yeah. <laughs> and they remortgage, the parents will remortgage their house just to throw the most lavish wedding for their. That's really sad. Isn't it? It's like the poorest and the richest people spend. 300 grand on the wedding and then middle middle class people like yeah whatever let's just do it yeah 20 grand yeah it's so wild i feel so sad like anytime i've gone i've only been to like one of those weddings but the whole time i was like how the hell has this family afforded this it's just like it makes me stressed (laughs) i can't i can't even imagine yeah and cost cost of living right now is um It's a lot of a lot of venues. A lot of um, the venues we perform at are, I think they're going to be okay, but they're, they're doing it tough because a lot of the margins on on small businesses, um, every little input can make such a huge difference. So the interest rate rose again. Yeah, I mean, if they got debt. Okay, that's an extra potentially couple of hundred a month. Yeah, um, and then the rent goes up. So then. You know, wages might have to go down or up or prices go up. And, you know, you go and get a pub feed now, it's what, at least 30. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to, to, well, buy a place and then also have a wedding and yeah. do all those things. So, look, congratulations. That's very exciting that yours is happening in what, three weeks? Yeah. And yeah. Everything's and going well. Like- Thank you to the bank of, of mum and dad, to be honest. Like, we've not paid for this whole wedding outright. Absolutely not. So, yeah, otherwise, we would probably be eloping. I feel like no one's ever upfront about that. Like, anyone I know that's got married has been so secretive. Like, yeah, my parents gave me money. They did put money in. Like, you can just say it. Like, it's pretty, like, stock standard that if people have the means, yeah, often they do. Yeah. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Well, I think that, that generation probably should. What do they all have? 
and half of them yeah. have three investment properties. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got like five thousand three hours. Not want to, so. <laughs> Help me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, anyway. I'm a mother. <laughs> so, um, so what what are your plans post once you finish your uh, tour? Yeah, so what, what happens I, then? I think I'll take December. Uh, I'll I'll just take it not entirely off, but Should just take things a bit easy. Uh, and yeah. basically I start writing the new show. So the way stand-up works is you in America, it's 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 common in Australia and the UK to do a new show every year, and that's because of the festival model. And I don't like the festival model. I have my gripes with that, but that's how you make money in Australia and um, the UK, particularly Australia, whereas American comedians tend to do a, a, a special every couple of years. And yeah. I want to try to do one every year but not through the festival circuit yeah and i just if you by the way if anyone wants to just go see comedy i think you shouldn't actually go to one of those festivals whether it's the adelaide fringe or melbourne comedy festival i think you should actually go to just the local club yeah and then you're actually supporting the local small business more than you are the government essentially so um that's just a little recommendation to anyone listening who just wants to see a, a general comedy show yeah. Um, but the goal now is to try to do a, a new stand-up show every year. I probably won't do an hour because I think that's – you then have to extend it and do a lot of narrative content and I like the hard-hitting punchline. So um, try to do a you know, 45, 50-minute show every year with a couple of openers and have a really good hour-plus yeah. show every year and, and slowly uh, just increase the size of the tour and the, and the scope. And I'm hoping to do a show in London next year. That would be wow. a big goal. I've got so a couple cool. of fans there and it's a lot easier with the visa situation. I would love to do American shows yeah. and I want to and I, I will. Uh, it's just with the – you have to get a sponsor and then the costs are higher so you have to oh. really be able to sell more and there's just a lot of you know, economic variables there. But London, very easy to get a visa. Yeah. So I'm hoping to do a show there and – do how do Americans co- like respond to? I don't know if you interact with many in your fan base, but how do they respond to getting roasted? Well, if it's funny, they love it. And I'm okay. I'm, that's good. I, I watch way too much American content, so I yeah. I know vaguely about the different states and which yeah. states are Democrat and Republican, and just basic stereotypes as well. Yeah, Americans are usually very supportive. Uh, whenever they come to the shows, There's, we get a lot of Americans and, and internationals at the right, Untamed yeah. shows and they're very, I mean, it's the stereotype, but they're very loud, very supportive, a lot of whooping and cheering Aww. and that's great. And and that's I so wish Australians sweet. did that, but Australians yeah. just cross their arms and they're like, all right, make me laugh. A little chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh, Americans are sweet. great, very supportive and one day I'd love to tour there. Um. So the plan is just to, yeah, just keep doing stand-up every year, do a new show, keep it, stay independent. I'm trying to do it all without a manager, without festivals, without any yeah. of these other variables. I don't really want to go onto TV or radio. I just don't like the way uh, TV operates now. It's very restrictive mm. and I think it's dying anyway. Yeah. There is right. a lot of money there but from the stories i've heard they censor everything and there's so many writers but then also producers and lawyers that Mm. water down the product and 
I mean, what was the last good Australian comedy TV show? There's, the one that Kitty Flanagan does is pretty good. But other than that. Chris Lilly. Exactly. Which was now yeah. 15 years ago. Wow, that's crazy. I've been seeing on TikTok all the Americans, I don't know if they've just put it on their platforms, but they've all just discovered um, like Summer Heights High and <laughs> and everything, all those shows, the Chris Lilly shows, and I see it, like them reacting to it on TikTok, like just dying of laughter. It's so funny. It's, it's yeah. brilliant, but you can't do it today because, yeah, you know, it's... It's, it's like racist. <laughs> and if you actually Considered ask, racist, yeah. You know, people of colour, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. woke white people that call this racist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just don't think TV is a viable, I don't know, it's a weird time for a lot of not just comedians but artists because there's the internet where you can be independent and do your own thing and build your own fan base. And there's still the traditional institutions but they do seem to be crumbling and losing their influence and power. And so mm-hmm. I'm all out on the on the internet, I think. Um so what I want to do keep building and and keep making good sketches and keep yeah. refining the craft and being able to do it full time and and building and just enjoying what I do. Are you gonna have? Are you gonna put out on any of your platforms still? Like you know how sometimes I don't know if you still do this regularly. Um, you've had like videos that go for like five to twenty minutes of like your opinions on something going on or a sure. certain something like this more serious side still funny but you know um, would you still do that less frequently i think i yeah. want to, I, I think i needed that to just do that video essay phase and yeah. i don't know if people were listening to neil and jordan last year there was just a time where i just was out of love with comedy i didn't like it didn't like the industry didn't like yeah. right. what i had to do and it felt very formulaic and repetitive and i was really interested in a lot of the more you know semi-intellectual kind of content and so I thought I'd try my hand at yeah. some of those video essays and I, well, I learned a lot but I also built some good habits doing those and I thought maybe I'll do you know two or three a year and keep it as a rare thing rather than yeah. doing them quite frequently yeah and they were taking a long time as well um but I've also I just feel like I've, I've said what I wanted to say on all the topics I want to talk about and yeah. I can't just keep rehashing the exact same thing yeah yeah and people now are aware of, you know, how I think about the world and what my general yeah. political stance is on certain issues and things. So I think um, I, I want to really focus on comedy and that, that's my strength and, yeah, this, this, this is like I, an I interview think it's now. A, <laughs> it, Well, it's a good segue as well to like I think I, it's funny this came up because I was just thinking about this this morning when Adrian went through a phase where he – so he's a landscaper – and he was really off landscaping last year. He wanted to stop. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to just do something completely different. And he was thinking about, uh, I think he was thinking about like working in disability. And um, and anyway, moral of the story was we were talking about this yesterday, how he went through this. And we were like, thank God he stayed and stuck it out a little bit to see what happened because he, every, he, he's like so passionate again about his job and he loves it. And it's like his, his life and soul. And it's like in the same way that this happens with careers, it also happens in relationships where you go, sometimes you just go through phases where it's not burning hot, passionate, exciting. And you're kind of wondering what else is out there? Is this it? And feeling kind of off and not that you should stick out every situation, but sometimes these things kind of like 
you know, they come back around and anyone that would look at you would think surely you wouldn't go through phases of not being a hundred percent passionate about comedy. Like that's such a, like anyone that knows that doesn't know you as like a friend that just knows you in general as Neil Kalhacker thinks like comedy, like it's such your identifying thing as well. And intellect, of course, <laughs> but yeah, like it's even you go through that. Yeah. Really and I, I it wasn't the comedy itself. It was just a lot of the variables surrounding it. So yeah, the way I'd set things up and it's, it's a wild west in, in the entertainment world right now. There's not a path that is clear cut and obvious for people to take to get to a certain point as there was in previous eras where you you do well at a at a festival or in America you'd get on one of those tonight shows and then you'd be able to tour and then you'd maybe get a sitcom and then you'd maybe get into movies. But now you see people like Andrew Schultz who sold out just in Sydney this weekend. He did forty thousand seats or something insane. And wow. Never gets interviewed on TV, never on radio. Half the yeah. population doesn't even know him. I've never heard this name. <laughs> there you go. And and so even yeah. you know, someone like Luke Kidgel, who I uh he was opening for me five years ago mm. to like 120 people in Bendigo and now he'll go there and sell four theatres. Just it's wow. insane. And again, nothing. He's not on yeah. – um, I don't know if he's rejected any offers, but yeah, it doesn't make any sense that the, the project or radio yeah. or any of these institutions would at least interview him. There's this w- yeah. very bizarre disconnect and I think it got quite frustrating for me last year and it felt like my career just stalled or even going backwards mm. and I was giving it more than anything I was I was putting a lot of energy into it and and mm. and it just felt like all right these are these there are these things that are just completely out of my control and it was really mm. it was just extremely frustrating and stressful um but then I took a break and reframed a few things and started working with a few different people and just fell in love with again and <laughs> just started really yeah. enjoying the craft and not worrying too much about the result. Uh, the result just matters to me in so far as I can do it full time. Yeah. And I've been able to do it full time for 10 years. So I'm very grateful and not a lot of artists get to say that. Yeah. So I'm very lucky and, and, and I'm blessed. I'm hashtag blessed. <laughs> uh, so yeah. to me, I, it's also, you know, you, you, you get certain commercial offers and you're not sure whether to take it because you think, oh, I'm an artist, I don't know if I should do that. And There's those sorts of things that you think about. And um, Yeah, remember when you were you, – I remember you got approached by something once and you were saying it was kind of like they – I might be wrong. They kind of wanted like a to- tokenistic, not white person as part of like their brand or whatever. I was just ridiculous. Okay, so I'll yeah. – well, I couldn't say it at the time. I don't think they're going to like sue me or whatever. But let's just call them a uh, Fluba and this uh, ride-sharing app called Fluba. Their goal was like, oh, we want to show that people who drive for us are different to the average Fluba driver. So they get the brown guy. And, and then, the funny one. Yeah. And then the funny brown guy. They didn't even like my video in the end. And they they just ghosted me after I spent oh. a, a day go, driving through Sydney, filming it, which is also a safety hazard because I'm oh. filming, talking to people while I'm driving through yeah. Sydney, trying to get to their destination. And they're like, no, nah, we don't find it funny because it was all <gasps> ethnic jokes that it was a bunch oh. of 
it's a generational divide. There was a bunch of people who clearly high up in the whatever their corporate field is, and they just have no idea what you know the area or Western Sydney jokes even are. <laughs> so anyway, maybe they'll sue me. That's shocking. That I, I have a massive issue with Flubar because I got banned. <laughs> from Fluba and Fluba Eats because I complained two times in a row or something. And they were they thought I was lying. So they banned me from all their platforms. And really? I was like, like, I think I told you this. And I saw the guy, the delivery driver, eating my grilled chips in his car. And they were like, what evidence do you have? And I was like, well, what am I supposed to go do? Like take a photo of him, like walk up to him. He's at my house. <laughs> no, I saw him eating it. I'm not going to eat that. And they banned me from everything. And even anyway, if you work from them, uh, please contact me. <laughs> so maybe you can unban me. <laughs> that was like five years ago. And I'm like the most honest person ever. I've never tried to get free food. Does Adrian from still have his accounts? No. Oh, I don't know. We use DoorDash. DoorDash oh, okay. is much more like popular up on the central coast. I think. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe it's just got better deals or something for the locals. But, yeah, that's um, that is a shame. And I also remember as well, like, when COVID um, was, I think it was to do with the payments, but I remember there was a lot of people in, like, the um, creative industries and a lot of musicians, et cetera, speaking up about how little Australia and I think maybe even particular New South Wales compared to other states, but definitely Australia as a whole, prioritise and celebrate um, music and shows and comedy and all of those types of things. And compared to other countries, it's just so like swept under the rug and hard to get out there that they didn't get access to payments or whatever, even though it was their jobs at the beginning, something like that. It's just um, would you say it's more of a New South Wales thing, like compared to like Melbourne, for example, or would you say it's in Australia? In what way? In the in the su- sense that, like, or? yeah, just like there is um, not enough, like you were saying, like people don't talk about it on TV or on radio or write about it, etc. It's it's just the the divide that's happened in the meet. It's just been uh, sort of institutional changes that Mm. have been brought about by social media and it's been just a chaotic time that I've happened to come up in in this industry and previously what you would call traditional media, television and and radio had a monopoly on um, comedians and and who sort of quote-unquote made it and who was seen by the public and now that's drastically changed and they haven't caught up and I think their ego gets ahead of them and they don't want to uh, try and integrate with some of the new Mm. internet acts and instead they're still trying to push their acts through that traditional route and you know then no one knows them they're not they're not selling that well I mean maybe to if you if you talk to people over a certain age they'll know a lot of those comedians but then if you talk to people our age and younger they have no idea who they are yeah, and they'll instead, you know, you ask them who's your favorite comedian. You ask a twenty-five-year-old in Australia who's your favorite comedian. They'll say, you know, they might say Frenchie, or they'll say Luke Kidgel, or they'll say mm-hmm. someone like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you ask a fifty-five-year-old, they'll have no idea who those two people are, and it's yeah. just this very strange disconnect yeah. that the industry is going through. Um, and it can be frustrating just because you don't, you know, you you see some people who maybe. Comedy is very subjective, but you, and I'm sure this happens in any industry. But you see people who you think, oh, 
really that person on TV or whatever, but yeah, um, this is just I get that of, in my industry too. It's, it's, they're it's, on TV. Yeah, it happens in every industry. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of politics and, and yeah. that sort of thing and there's these sort of gatekeepers and um, to me if everyone was just online and it was an algorithm that decided based on engagement who makes it, if you will, I think that's actually of all the options, that's the fairest. Mm. So yeah. it seems to be moving more towards that, which is good. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, um, we should talk about relationships, what, which is what the podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, have you fundamentally changed your mind on any of the major issues that we've talked about for, for three and a half years? Because I was thinking about it over the last week or two, and I don't think I've drastically changed my mind on a few things. Yeah. I think I've found more nuance in certain areas, but I, I I haven't had a giant change of heart on any yeah. significant issue. And that's really telling, isn't it? It says that once people are sort of set in their ways yeah. on certain topics that they deem close to them, it's yeah. virtually impossible to just shape people's minds or hearts with uh, one podcast, which is what a lot of people I think sometimes expect, especially early on in the podcast. Tell me if you agree with this as well, where I would get messages and I think you would get messages too of people expecting us to just essentially educate the other person and yeah. convince the other person why they're wrong and yes. why we're correct yes. and it would upset them that someone would have different yeah. a different take on on the facts it's not like they have different facts they have a different opinion about the facts yes and i think you and i almost had a similar response where yeah. we'd almost get quite obstinate and disagreeable about certain things when we felt like mm. we were coming across as pandering so mm. if if mm. you ever got a message that implied you were pandering towards you know maybe some of this new red pill or male ideas yeah you would immediately get on the podcast and say, look, I just want to clarify, this is not what I yeah. meant. And yeah. similarly, when um, you'd sometimes throw me messages of, of, of people saying things like, I'm, it's good to see Neil's, you know, been educated or changed his yeah. mind on this issue, I'd then immediately <laughs> think, no, yeah. look, this is actually what I meant. And um, yeah. I found that yeah. patronizing. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting, observing that. Have you, have you found a, a similar... Experience? Yeah, 100%. And I find it like I wonder is it is it that you and I have changed over the years because I actually feel that many if not most of my <laughs> opinions and thoughts and views at least on uh, relationships and I've definitely been um, swayed more when we talk about like philosophical or cultural things, etc. cetera. Um, but I do think that my opinions on relationships have stayed somewhat the same with small variations, etc. And like, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about. Um, but in general, I would say like I haven't had any major changes. But I do remember at the beginning some of these messages that I would get like, you're not being feminist enough. You're not pushing back enough. Da 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 da. You need to correct. Neil, when he says this, and then I see comments saying the opposite, like Eliza has no idea what the fuck she's talking about. This that. Um, and now when I get messages over the last like couple of years everything has been so supportive 
Yeah. Especially like from women saying thank you for speaking about this in such like a gentle way that doesn't seem like provocative for a man to hear, but it's important to express this. From men, I've had so many men message me saying like I actually had really unhealthy view not only on relationships but on women um, and why I'm single. And like you guys have really helped me understand that, take responsibility, change things in my life. I've had my girlfriend, my first girlfriend, and like we have these amazing communications, or I've had my healthiest relationship ever because of you guys which has been so nice but I always think like what is it is it just because now we have these loyal followers or listeners over the years and, or or is it that like I don't know what it is but it is interesting just a, it is. it's a significant part of modern life where people have are in either tribe of this gender war yeah. and they're yeah. not willing to listen to anyone who might have contradictory ideas and not only that yeah. are they willing to listen to them they uh, they actively see that as a form of hostility and as yeah. hateful and as dangerous. And I think yeah. that that notion in itself is very dangerous because if you just think I'm perfectly correct and everyone who disagrees with me is not only wrong, they need to be educated, they're also dangerous, that then justifies cancellations, it justifies uh, very serious speech codes and it justifies silencing of dissent. And that's how you end up in authoritarian states. Really, yeah. that's 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 those are the seeds of the, that kind of uh, uh, society. Yeah. Um, and 100%. you know, it's been good seeing those messages, but also things like uh, there were there were, there are certain topics that maybe we weren't able to discuss in a mature way at the start, and then we came around to that. Um, maybe more of the topics about, okay, um, are there issues disadvantaging men in the modern world that cannot just be seen through the progressive paradigm? And are there now things that are going the other way and starting to hurt men? And mm. I know you, uh, we might not have been able to talk about yeah. something like that at the start. And then yeah. we were, and that was really, that was nice. That was good to be able to, because if people feel like, okay, they're being, properly heard and listened to and it doesn't yeah. mean they have to be agreed with but if they're just yeah. given the time of day it, it can be a, a nice way to to move forward and yeah exactly that's um my best mate always says she's like I literally don't care if you think what I've said is the dumbest shit ever just validate that I said it <laughs> just say I hear you and that's it but I think as well like a lot of it was I mean, for me, uh, coming in on a podcast with you where all of our listeners, obviously at the start, um, were there for you because you 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 brought everyone in and I felt so like, oh, how can I contradict Neil? And if I did, I'd get so roasted. And then remember, it would really impact me at the start. And you had to like coach me through being like, I don't read comments. Like, I don't give a fuck, like whatever. And like, it really took me a really long time to learn, like not to take people's um, opinions so to heart. And then I was like, I'm letting down women. And then, oh, the men think this and this and whatever, or I'm being too gentle, I'm being too passive, or I'm being like, you know, whatever. Um, and this is the, that was my first exposure ever to people talking shit about me because I've never come across it. I mean, maybe it's happened behind my back. <laughs> I've never, ever in my life had I been 
exposed to that. I've never heard of anyone talking shit about me in my friend groups. Like it's never come back around to me. So it was like a confronting thing where all my podcasts I was getting into with, with you, I was so stressed because I was like, I have oh, to really? make sure that I'm either one, correcting this misconception or two, feeling like I'm advocating enough without pissing off men or <laughs> all the women, etc. But then after like, I don't know, a year, I was like, fuck it. I'm really like, I'm too tired. Like, I don't care. <laughs> just, just say what you want. I really don't care enough. Um, and yeah, now, now I feel like it's just like, it's just us all, a couple of old mates having a little chit chat, <laughs> um, yeah, discussing take- our opinion that's often, you know, backed with research and consideration and preparation or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been good in that sense. It's mu- it's much more like a, I think it was a comfort thing for me, um, or a confidence thing for sure. Well, I'm glad you got through that. And yeah, that's a big problem with other media outlets. They, they just pander to whatever a commenter says and it's yeah. okay to disagree with your audience. Yeah. It's, you don't have to just pander to your audience. And I'm sure the listeners would respect us more for not doing that because you risk sure. audience capture. And I yeah. hope when you you know, move forward with this podcast, you, you keep that mentality. And um, of course, there's a, there's a time and place where if, say, the entire comment section is telling you you said something yeah. <laughs> uh, insensitive or you said something um, ridiculous, then, of course, you need yeah. to potentially backtrack. But uh, I, I'd never go into anything just trying to pander to um, an audience. And definitely, I think we... We did that as well as we could and yeah, it was never supposed – I wouldn't have wanted to do a podcast where it was just someone coming on to – I think a lot of people maybe from that initial uh, – like I said, especially maybe the ones that were messaging you for some reason because that, that, this is what seems to play out in, in media and this almost seems to be some kind of intellectual fantasy where – There'll be a man who just needs to be educated and talked down to and needs to shut up and and just immediately change his mind about everything, which is just, I think, a very infantile way of um, thinking about these things because it's crazy to assume someone would just do that and for an entire hour just be like, oh, okay, yeah, I was wrong and yeah, you're uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's just not how adults work Um, and I think as well the ironic thing was that when not with you but when I became more assertive in my own opinions like not assertive in uh, my communication with you but just assertive in standing by what I thought instead of being a bit more passive and I stopped caring about what these angry men would say I had 10 times more men messaging me saying I loved this I loved your take on this I loved your thoughts and opinions and I was like this is so confusing to me but that's good. <laughs> it's um, it's working. Like maybe it's just, I, I don't know if maybe it was just that maybe men, uh, as a stere- I hear I'm stereotyping, actually probably prefer a more assertive take and just getting to the point rather than being soft and gentle about possibly or perhaps or like that kind of thing and just being like, this is what I think, this is what I've researched, this is what I've come across, this is my opinion, only my opinion. And also like when... I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I filmed, um, I was, I was practicing filming with my two girlfriends, uh, psychologists and a therapist, um, <laughs> trying to plug in <laughs> multiple mics to see if we get it working. And, um, we are all 
work in the field of therapy. We're all highly educated um, and qualified and see clients, etc. And we had pretty like similar as a whole, but we still have different opinions on many things. Um, and it was it was more in the sense that even though we're a bunch of three therapists sitting in a room talking about, would we date you if you had done this in your past or whatever, it became more of like a response from three 29-year-old girls rather than three therapists. It was just us speaking as women more so. Uh, but, yeah, very different answers on many things, which I was like, this is this is a good point. Like you just because someone is qualified or even not qualified and has like a more like objective um, approach to something or can sit away and come in with fresh eyes, regardless, there's not – there's not always a right way or a, um, or, or a wrong way to have an opinion about something. But I think that one of the big takeaways that you and I have really pushed for um, and encouraged during this um, podcasting is to come at things with an open eye, uh, with open eyes and uh, an open, open eyes, an open mind um, and consider that your opinions can be changed. And I think that that is a sign of true intellect when you can say, hey, thanks, like actually I that's a really interesting perspective and I kind of have changed my stance on this a little bit or at least I will consider that. And I came across actually this study um, the other day where it was about these, it was done with monkeys, sadly, and they had five monkeys in a room and they had like a pole or something. And on the top of the pole was treats like bananas. So they put the monkeys in a room and they're like, fuck yeah, bananas. So one monkey goes, climbs up the pole. And as he's climbing up the pole, the rest of the monkeys get like spurted with water, like a water hose. So they're freaking out and they attack the monkey on the pole saying, get off the pole. We're getting sprayed with water. So then the next monkey goes up to try, same thing happens. They all attack the monkey that goes up. Eventually what they start doing is taking one monkey out every couple of days and replacing it with a new monkey. So the new monkey doesn't know what's happening. And at that point, they even stop spraying the monkeys with water. So he goes, the new monkey goes to climb up the pole and they all attack him, even though there's no water anymore, they just attack it. And then they keep replacing the monkeys one by one until eventually there's five completely new monkeys. They've never seen the hose, but yet any time a monkey is introduced and climbs up the pole, they just know instinctively we have to attack the monkey that climbs the pole, even though it has food for us on the top. And the point of the study is to show that there are things that we are so indoctrined or we're so conditioned to believe and we just think this is the way in life and is so normal to us and our upbringing or our culture or our groups, whatever that we're involved in. But just because that is our nature or second nature, it doesn't necessarily make it right or whatever. And it's really hard to see outside of it when you're brought up with a very specific, this is fact and this is views. And I was talking to Adrian about this yesterday because he was like, how can anyone get sucked into these cults? And I'm like, if you're born into a cult and you are told this your life, your entire life, it's easy to say, I would question this. I don't believe in this, but that, that is what you've been told is fact. Like we've been told, oh, this exists or this doesn't exist and we just take that as fact. Um, so, mm. yeah, I think I think it's something that 
we should consider. And, and finally, I'll just make a point on this. I saw a video on um, TikTok where someone was saying a girl um, posted a video that went viral and she was like, but what is maths? Like how was maths created? Like why do we actually have maths? What's like, what is it? Serve us, blah, blah, blah. Like how are numbers a thing? And she got so roasted, this chick. Like there were hundreds of thousands of people roasting this woman being like, uh, what is maths? Like fucking, it's the simplistic numbers, like like just roasting her. And then what ended up happening, a lot of like physicists, mathematicians, philosophers, scientists started coming in and saying, actually, it is this curiosity that breeds like intellect and without people wondering these things, we don't go on to discover anything new. These are the people that prompt change or prompt interest or prompt, is this the way things should be? Like a scientist doesn't just create electricity from a dream, you know, like it's, it's the consideration of things. And it's almost like an art that we've lost is the curiosity because we're so, now that we almost have everything and everything's advancing around us, we don't really have to practice that in our day-to-day life. Like, why is this? Like, why does the ocean's tides affect ABC? Why does the moon have all these different waxing, waning, whatever like we don't question these things any more naturally and we just think oh if I wanted to know I'd google it etc but I think it's it's an important thing to do not just about the world but also about ourselves like why do I get bothered when whenever someone says this or makes a comment about this like why do I feel so sensitive about someone commenting this about someone else or whatever um and I think that's a that's a big takeaway and a big reflection for me is that you know, like I just said before, this is something like we're all, we can all be right. We can all be wrong. But I think I'm right on this one. <laughs> like, I think guys, you guys should take this as fact. <laughs> Start being curious. Don't you reckon? It's interesting you say, I mean, that's great. And I agree with everything you said, but I felt like you became, it wasn't like you became less uh, assertive, but at the start, it felt more combative when we were mm. talking about the issues that we were discussing and then maybe it wasn't that you mellowed out or anything but we were able to just be more nuanced in how we approached those issues and and we weren't just uh, reiterating exactly what we heard online and then maybe that felt more comfortable and it potentially allowed us to uh, go further into the into the complexity of how we felt about the particular issue but it's interesting that your uh perception of it was that you became more assertive yeah uh, i definitely think i've been way more assertive it's so funny that you feel the opposite yeah it's interesting that's super interesting (laughs) and my friends that have listened to me over the years have said as well like i love that you are more like assertive with your opinion not against neil it's just like the pussyfooting around it kind of thing just being able to say, actually, I think this. Uh, so yeah, it's it's, and I want. I haven't had any feedback from men, so I wonder if other men would be more on your, like, think what you think as well. So it's interesting, but yeah, it was definitely just more so led by <laughs> what what other people were saying, and then feeling like either defensive or feeling like I needed to correct these things, or feeling like it was my responsibility to educate like what I thought, not you 
I mean, the others that I thought were uh, people were saying like, no, women shouldn't do this. <laughs> mm. If she wore that, then, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I was like, it's those are soft spots for me um, as well. Like we all have like our, um, uh, our, no, I wouldn't say it's a trigger. I would just say it's something that I'm like passionate about and was like I need to, felt like I needed to do it justice as, you know, our, our audience started so like male dominated. So, yeah, I like the way that it developed regardless of the reasons or whatever. Mm. I still good. think that's so interesting. That's even then, yeah. like this is the last episode. And we have very different um, yeah. interpretations of how the yeah. last three years went because, yeah. like I said, I don't think it was that you became less assertive, but you just definitely became more open to and receptive to listening mm. to what I had to say. And the trigger for me was always someone who uh, felt like they needed to educate me because yeah. there's yeah. nothing that, and I still need to maybe deal with that a little bit, but I just, I can't handle that because yeah. I've read so much now yeah. on this issue and uh, I, it just feels infantilizing. Um, I have the same thing. I get so triggered by this and I'm like, please, not you, just in general, like please don't come at me about like this because I cannot even express how many hours of research I have done into this. Like if when my mum makes a comment about like, I don't know if I'm getting a vitamin in, in a plant-based diet or something. And I'm like, woman, please don't try and educate me on this. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. But same yeah, thing. My, my perception was that you, uh, it, it felt more like we were trying to talk over each other at the start. And mm. then we were definitely more receptive to uh, each other's varying viewpoints as the podcast went on maybe we had longer winded opinions it might have been that but it's very see even that that's very interesting because um well there you go i feel like we're more similar than we realize in a lot of ways even though we come at it like as a, like we're selling it as like two very different opinions and this and that i think that in some ways we're quite similar and we have like a similar um our opinions might not be the same, but like a similar approach to things that we enjoy and don't enjoy or, or whatever. But yeah, it is, um, it, it is interesting because like in my, and I'm not saying at all, this is like true, but like, I would always feel people and again, being led, especially by comments, um, by women being like, you net, let Neil say like, women don't actually have it that bad. And you just agree and say, mm, yeah, interesting. Like well, you should be I mean, providing facts. And it's like, you're almost saying that it was like the opposite, like that you would say that. And I would be like, combative so it's yeah it's just like I guess this is like a good point as well it's just that anyone's perception on a situation or event can be so like and I've recently learned this going through a court proceeding as well with when we're talking about a child's um like uh behavior where they they the police had to interview over 60 people and most people were perceiving what this child went through is he was violent, aggressive, whatever. And I was saying in all my statements, like, this kid was lovable, he was funny, he was this. And 
he was off his meds first and he wanted he wanted attention, he wanted validation, he wanted support or whatever. And then other people in my position as well in the same industry were saying complete opposite. And they also had their evidence to back their perception as well, just as much as I had my evidence to back my perception and thousands of case notes or whatever. Like it's just, it's, there's no such thing as fact when it comes to, I guess, anything. <laughs> like Everyone has their reality and, and they map yeah. that reality onto the world. I mean, there's been a lot of new research from highly regarded psychologists that talk about how we're not actually seeing reality as it is. We're seeing yeah. it as it benefits us evolutionarily. Yes. And yeah. we focus on different things. We find evidence that suits our yeah. uh, narrative and you know, even what you just said there earlier, if any woman listened to any of the early podcasts and somehow heard that I was saying women don't have it that bad, they've completely misheard. Yeah. yeah. They've yeah. just completely gotten it wrong. And yeah. I would encourage them to either just re-listen or uh, inquire into why they might have that knee-jerk reaction and think that any kind of... Uh, dissent against the mainstream progressive ideals that we have must be uneducated and idiotic and simplistic. And I actually yeah. think that is a really dangerous thing that you see on both sides of any culture war issue where you people assume that, okay, if, if people were just uh, exposed to the same facts I've been exposed to, they'd have the exact same opinion. Yeah. That's not how human beings no. work. We all have yeah. our different proclivities yeah. and our different just physiological makeup that um, causes us to interpret various facts and reality in a, in a different way. Um, so true. So I had um, an educator once tell me, like a, a professor, say that if you were born, if you look at someone and you just think like this person is problematic or extremely wrong or whatever, like you're judging them, if you were born with their same set of genetics and had their exact same upbringing, you would be in their exact position right now feeling the way that they do. And it's just our perceptions and our sense of reality. You're right. Regardless of how educated and aware you are of your personal biases, you can't avoid it. You have it. We all have a lens. We all have in the sense that people that have, um, like I was talking about this with my friend the other day, like my child, Remy, he's at this phase where like he's become a little bit more extrovert. He's very happy, loves to approach strangers and smiles and whatever. And we were talking about like, oh my God, he loves to run up to strangers. And I was like, this is because Remy has never let, never yet learned or being exposed to the idea or concept that an adult isn't someone that can't be trusted or give him love and attention because anyone he's ever approached smiles, says hi, wants to cuddle him, whatever, even strangers. Whereas a child that has trauma or experience, any abuse, et cetera, uh, usually they can go the other way, but typically often are extremely hypervigilant, hyper-aware, don't want to be trusting adults or on the very other end of the spectrum, so intensely trying to get the validation and love off any adult that they're clinging or whatever, but it's just their experiences cause them to have this effect of like always be hesitant when you meet people, always be cautious, wait till they show you their true colors. And that can be carried through from when you're a baby right up until where you are right now. Um, and it's so hard to change these 
innate things um, within us and our views. And a lot of it, a lot of like couple work is understanding why they have their views or even just acknowledging that this person has this view and has this lens. And can you, it's not necessarily about changing their opinion, like on the same way that you and I might disagree with things. Neither one of us may be right or wrong. And it's not necessarily about changing opinions, but it's about being like, hey, like I can see this point of view and that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't considered that. And this makes sense or whatever. Um, or even if you disagree, it's not it's not about being like bringing that person onto your side, but you can share your thoughts. You can share your experiences. And is that in a couple relationship, is this dynamic going to work with you going forward in a healthy way? Can you work within this parameter of their perspective of life? And I always say to like clients, et cetera, and friends, you can only meet someone as much as they've met themselves. So when you are bringing concepts to them and all these ideas and things like that, or you should be doing this, you should be doing that, if they haven't even grasped that concept themselves, there's no way that you just telling them something is going to change um, the way they think. And and like you said about like the listeners before and having like very like um, – the way women were interpreting it and, and messaging me and getting mad at me being like advocate stronger, like blah, blah, blah. It was incorrect. And I was, I know I was too influenced by comments from men and women. Either way, it was like so stressful. But when you think about it, like, I remember like our um, episode on porn was so controversial and that episode, I did so much research and a lot of that was back to like, not just my, not my necessarily my opinion or your opinion, but backed by research was 90% of that episode. And you have some people who agree with that, who have one had the share the same opinions or done the research or whatever and come that way. Or you have a lot of people that maybe are, they one, just disagree or two, they feel guilt or shame because they engage in it two hours a day or whatever, or just three, just yeah, plain disagree. No, I'm happy and healthy. And they're like, Oh no, porn is so normalized in relationships as a part of a healthy function and sexual expression and intimacy. It's completely fine. It's completely healthy. Like very, I mean, it was, those comments were made in a much more aggressive way than that, but you know, like it's just, that's the reality is that what you guys are saying here is so wrong because I've only ever experienced like positive things. And then when I speak to therapists, they say, yes, you can have within your your personal use or your relationship and be completely happy functioning and have little to no impact on you which you know I also agree with but yeah it's um when we have an opinion on something it's it can it can feel um personal to have to hear something that contradicts it also, like I remember when we did that podcast on it was like the, the Tinder study and I knew I was going to hate it. <laughs> I was like, fuck, <laughs> I'm going to hate this podcast. And I did. Um, and it's <laughs> it, not that I, it was you or anything. It was it was just, it was literally a study. And I was kind of talking about, well, there are issues within this study. The The sample size was only 12 people, like immediately trying to um, initially, initially, like my immediate knee-jerk reaction was to dismiss it because I didn't agree with it. So it is it is something that is maybe that's been the thing that we have subconscious unconsciously developed both within us over the years um, is to not have that knee-jerk reaction because to be honest, even in 
Sorry, I've been going on. This is my last point, I promise. But even in my field of working with a lot of like clients, it's very easy for me to say like, these are my clients and I anticipate clients to have polar opposite views to me. But there is that power dynamic and there is that little bit of the, I do have an influence on these clients because they're seeking out my support, my my guidance or whatever, my opinion and all my education, um, unless it was court mandated, <laughs> in which case it's a little bit different. But when like coming exposed to you, I don't often actually get exposed to people in my circle outside um, of a like therapeutic dynamic or whatever that just have very different opinions. And I was saying to this to um, my friend the other day, I was like, I only just realized that my nine closest girlfriends are all psychologists, therapists, or social workers. I don't know how I just never made this connection before. So we, when we talk, we all have like the same opinions (laughs) on almost like, yeah, on, on the big things. We basically agree on everything. And I don't get that exposure on this level, like on a friend chit chat level of a very different opinion. Even Adrian and I agree on basically everything. So it, it's um, an interesting dynamic as well. That was almost new to me. Like I don't get, to, I don't talk to strangers on the street. I do now since I've had a baby, but I, didn't, I wasn't really talking to strangers on the street being like, what are your opinions on something really deep here? And let's, let's go back and forth about it. I think there are major social distinctions occurring, not just in Australia, across the West. And it's interesting when I think you would have said this about me, but a lot of listeners would say, oh, Neil must be a conservative. There's nothing conservative about me. I I was open to open to an open relationship. I'm an artist. I drink. I have definitely dabbled in uh, casual sex. (laughs) What a a thing to say. Uh, (laughs) Dabbled in it. (laughs) Had a little dip in the pool. What a quote. (laughs) And that's how much people are atomized and in their little tribe. They think someone like me is a conservative and people who are conservative think I'm a left-leaning hippie. So very tribal. We're very much in our own cultural echo chamber slash ecosystem and it's really dangerous. And something you were talking about earlier on was how people can interpret things very differently and Mm -hmm. how you're coming back to that monkey study uh, I think it was Jonathan Hyatt that one of his early books was talking about how it's in fact our nervous system that's in charge of our our decisions because we think that it's our brain making rational and calculated decisions, but it's our nervous system that almost anticipates mm-hmm. what it may be feeling. So in a very uh, overt example, if for five years you're uh, hit every day with a red spoon or something like that, then maybe you're going to associate the color red with an initial reaction, some kind of knee jerk, negative emotion that then primes you to make other decisions about something. And then, you know, that's the basis of marketing and the basis of so many other things that just involve various pattern recognition and heuristics that link us to certain ways that we ultimately feel. It does come down to how we feel that makes our decisions and and the brain reacts to the nervous system more than anything else. And that makes evolutionary sense because if uh, if there were predators out in the jungle 100,000 years ago and we anticipate that early enough, that's an effective survival strategy. Whereas now we have that same fight or flight response in a much more micro way with ideas that we may not like. And so uh, people's various 
realities are almost becoming predatory to us and we react in a very similar fight or flight way. Um, and it's, it's very hard to, uh, and I, you know, I'm not, I've been, I haven't been entirely immune to this. It's very hard not to have that knee jerk reaction. If someone is asserting something that's extremely contradictory to your ideals. And not only that, you're going to try to minimize and, um, villainize the other side because we're, we're inherently tribal and that yeah. helped us for so long, maintaining a strong tribe and seeing outsiders as different because throughout history they probably were and it made sense to be skeptical of uh, new people. And what happens then is you, you, uh, you straw man a lot of other ideas. So uh, you, people will assume that there's you know, there's no difference in nuance between the dumbest version of an opinion that may disagree with them versus the most intelligent version of an opinion that would disagree with them. So they'll find the the misspelt uh, comment on Facebook of someone who disagrees with them and say, ah, see, look at that person. Mm. That's how they all might, that anyone who disagrees with me is that stupid, right? And similarly, other people will find the most unhinged um mentally unstable person who's advocating to tear society down and doesn't really have a nuanced view about it and say and say ah see mm. see see how stupid everyone who disagrees with me is and i would encourage people uh to always be aware of that impulse within themselves and if if they find themselves thinking oh look this other tribe or this other side on a on an issue is just dumb and is just uh, not educated on certain things, um, actively try and seek out the best version of that disagreement rather than just finding the dumbest version and uh, validating your uh, preconceived ideas. Try and find... There are, you know, the, the for the people who did think I'm conservative or something, there are very intelligent conservatives out there. If you're going around through life thinking conservatives are all dumb and uneducated that's just objectively not true i would recommend read thomas soul who's a he's an african-american conservative who's now in his 90s and still writing prolifically and he's mm. brilliant and um someone who's influenced me a lot and yeah. someone who's influenced a lot of other conservatives so he uh, is someone that i would recommend for for people who might want that more intellectual version mm. of uh, opinions that they may not agree with there was another great book i read recently called who really cares i think i mentioned it on a podcast earlier this year mm -hmm. um and it just broke down with statistics who donates the most to charity and it was very interesting because the, the oh. guy went into it thinking oh i know who's who it's gonna be i just want to prove that and he was completely disproven wow so that was a fascinating book um i would also uh the, 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 I did a podcast two years ago with my reading recommended books. And um, oh, yeah. so all of those I'd still say the same. So the two main Esther Perel books, I think we both, that's yeah. definitely something we agree on. She is <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, guru, the most the legend. <laughs> important voice on relationships for, yeah. for the modern world. Yeah. So Mating in Captivity and the State of Affairs are fantastic. The classic Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus is always a good one to um, get stuck into. I really like why him, why her. I know you read that one and, and that one didn't speak to you as strongly. I think it's because I went through a phase of like 
I loved those speaking of categorizing those books that categorize you in like a you're a blue person or you're a this person or you're in this quadrant and when I was started reading it I was like oh I'm in it like it's another category I'm going to fall in and I think I was like I don't know if I relate to any I can't remember but it was just like a when I enjoyed those personality types things that would have been my jam like a few years ago that I would have been obsessed with it but now I'm like okay I've already got 14 (laughs) I can't add another one fair enough (laughs) but it's good um it's and it's a good as well like um like not introductory, but something that's easy to understand and read. And it's kind of like, and you know why I think I was struggling with it because um, just before it, I had read too easy like, for you. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I had just read um, why people are stupid or something or something like that. <sighs> and it was Bold. almost the same concept. Like these people are this category and you're this category and you have to understand each other's like quadrant category to in order to, and these people are compatible and these people aren't compatible. Mm. And I was like, right. I just read this book. <laughs> same thing. Fair it enough. just wasn't about relationships. It was, it was just about society people. But yeah, I do think, I didn't think it was an enjoyable read. Yeah. Uh, there yeah. was the, one I did a years ago, Attachment Theory Workbook, was just 100 pages, really good. I recommend that for yeah. everyone. Horm- Attached. Hormonal by Marty Hasselton. That's yes. That's a big, yes. That's a big uh, eye-opener. Um, Your Brain on Sex, uh, Sex at Dawn. Uh, yes. for, for Men, No More Mr. Nice Guy by Robert Glover is a really good one that I would I argue um, articulates a vision for positive masculinity. Uh, the Mark Manson ones, I, I don't mind those. Um, I wasn't a big fan of models that is was his original dating uh, handbook. So, you know, some people say that's really good though. Uh, Emotional Intelligence is a great read. The Evolution of Beauty is one that talks about sexual selection in the animal kingdom and how it can relate to human beings and that one is fascinating i can't stop thinking about that one um then a few that i've read this year i haven't been reading as much this year but the essential difference i think did a whole podcast on that that was really interesting um the righteous mind basically all of jonathan hyde's books yeah i agree brilliant yeah um will store has a good one about status Eric Byrne, Games People Play, that was one that was controversial, came out in the 60s, and that one has influenced me a little bit. Of Boys what? and Men, that's a really good yeah. one that has yeah. come out just last year and is just funny. fascinating. So if this is a guy who is a he's a researcher, he's an academic, and he has written a book about the state of uh, boys in modern society, yeah. and it is... I think people are saying it's controversial. I don't think it's actually controversial. Like one or two people on Twitter had a go, but I don't think that's controversy. Uh, the culture map, the intelligence trap, that one's interesting because all these assumptions we have about people who are intelligent or people who have high IQ are just dispelled by all these statistics that he points out. And so people think, oh, people who fall for, you know, really conspiratorial or radical ways of thinking must be stupid no it's the complete opposite if anything people with a higher iq are more susceptible to uh, what he called the the nobel there was something where there was just a a high percentage of nobel laureates that when 
you took their opinions outside of their area of expertise where they won the Nobel Prize on, they often had what would be called extreme radical or conspiratorial ideas, which mm. uh, I remember talking to Jordan about that and a higher IQ doesn't necessarily mean you're more correct. It just means you, I suppose, have more computing power and a more powerful computer just means it can create mm. more elaborate code about why that person's reality is correct. Mm. So all of these books, the biggest lesson I've learned over the last two, three years is there's no such thing as, oh, if you're smart, you're going to think this way. And if you're not smart, mm -hmm. you're going to think this mm -hmm. other way. So mm -hmm. I really recommend that one, The Intelligence Trap. Um, yeah. And there was, an, oh, there was another one that was similar to that. But I've, anyway, but um, yeah, I would say those are the ones over the last year or two that have been impactful. Um me. There's a, there's a book called Testosterone by Carol Hooven. Oh, Very yeah. Interesting, that one. Um, oh, The Culture Map. That's a good one. That just just map, maps out different how different cultures see leadership and things like that. So just things like, you know, in, in Western culture, people appreciate their boss coming uh, on a bike and sort of being one with the people and having a more collaborative uh, way of managing their their employees whereas in china if someone if their boss came on a bike they'd lose respect for them immediately wow. and they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to trust that person um and in fact most countries that's the case where social status is um far more significant when it comes to the level of respect that is afforded to certain people that's so in i was watching a video or maybe it was you telling me, I think it was a video, um, about how in in China a lot of the CEOs, um, despite they have having such an intense culture for study and intellect, et cetera, um, and academic um, progress, a lot of the CEOs of companies are not Chinese and are brought in from other countries because they have such a focus on academic progress and so little focus on play as children that they don't develop the people skills in order to be able to run a and own a large-scale company. So I thought, I thought that was interesting. And it was bringing in as well how we, in Western cultures, we often prioritise play and not academic. And in other cultures, they don't prioritise play at all. And... Um, the the impact of that and also i actually came across another really interesting study which was this was one where i was like oh shit i might have to change my approach a little bit and it was about how it was a theory that was kind of backed in research about how the way in which we are always present with our children in their play or whatever um is causing and uh, or contributing to the massive mental health crises in young children and that by the age of five and six we should be encouraging independence in the sense of letting them play independently like walk around the block independently as a five-year-old go to the park on their own and those things sound wild to me even though I literally did that <laughs> as a kid my mom would be like see ya um and I, I can you know, attest I am a very, I've been a very like happy disposition uh, with good mental health basically my whole life. But yeah, I was like, fuck, that's, that's actually something I'm going to have to like consider and think about. Um, also, while we're on the 
on the books. My number one recommendation is Come As You Are. Please read it. I did read that, yeah. That was did good. you like it? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Every woman I, that I know has read this is like this book puts into words to me things I couldn't have considered and didn't understand about myself but make 100% sense. So I do really lo- recommend women to read it or men in relationships as well. I think it's really good. Um, when the Body Says No, that's a really good one. Um, the Boy Who Was Raised as a Wolf or a Dog. <laughs> can't remember. But read it. It's really good. Super Brain, one of my favourite books. Mm. Um, and I've read Boys and Sex. I can't remember if I liked it or not, though, but I read it recently. It was pretty good. Um, in the Garden of Desire. I that's a like classic. That yeah. No, I like The Garden of Desire. I didn't read all of The Garden of Desire, but that was it. I think it's really hard to find now. People have been like, I cannot find this book anywhere. So Was that the one where she has the cowboy fantasy where there's... Yeah. yeah. It's all about women's fantasies and the psychology behind it and, like, talking about, like, why certain fantasies are so... Like, why is consensual, non-consent so popular as a sexual fantasy amongst women. But it will be interesting. They should update this book because that book was written so long ago, like at least 20 years old, I think. Um, and I guess now that we have access to all this internet, it will be interesting to see how women's fantasies have changed. Um, now more women are in positions of power, etc. So, yeah, but it's a really fascinating read. And I always like – I went around for months after that book looking at women's personalities and being like, I know, <laughs> I, could, I know what you're into. <laughs> I think I think people should uh, try and read, if it's a book about boys and men, read books that are written by boys and men and vice versa. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because you don't want to read. I, that's why I didn't particularly like that of boys and the uh, boys and sex one. Yeah. Because I felt like she was just asserting her narrative onto that's right. And finding evidence. I to, remember to, I talked about this in a we did this we brought it up in a podcast like a, maybe a year or two ago and she was talking about like college men and what she's come across and her like she did some face to face interviews but a lot of it was from like also interviewing women from college and their experiences with men and you were like mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> so I maybe not that one. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't a fan, but it's good to still read one. I can't really remember. Yeah, yeah, we don't necessarily Agree with, and another book yeah. I, I read recently. That's not re- it's it's sort of to do with psychology. Uh, weird, uh, Western educated industrial, forget what, religious democratic, and so this is just talking about how those five factors uh, are actually very rare throughout history. So it's very rare that you get all those factors together in one society and that is what has caused the modern West or, you know, mm. industrialised liberal democracy that we live in and, and just the the buttressing psychology of that, fascinating, mm. really, mm. really interesting. It even goes into sort of the, how Protestantism in particular was able to ferment the ideals and worldview that we now yeah. currently exist yeah. in and... This is a really, really good one. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that's all the books that – were there any others that you – I cannot think off the top of my head for the life of me. <laughs> I'll have to think yeah. about it. Put, put, post a, make a post on Instagram. I'm like, I can't remember any author's name literally of any of the books I just listed. 
I tried <laughs> to read um like I read one Clementine Ford book. I just couldn't. It was just it, I I read it and I wasn't a fan. Uh, but then I read a Jermaine Greer, the female eunuch. I actually quite like that one. She writes very well. What's that about? I was like her one of the most her fame. It made her like one of the most famous feminists. You should. Um, let, do I have to mansplain this to you? Yeah, mansplain it to me. Go on. Uh, Jermaine Greer, she's very well renowned Australian feminist. Now has actually been cancelled because she's I, you know, a turf. But oh. uh, in the seventies, she wrote the female eunuch. And as the name suggests, it's all about how women ha- have their just innate desires and their needs, wants, and everything has just been suppressed. And I thought that was a really mm. well written yeah. and intriguing read. Mm. But then I didn't like, I wasn't, I read it, but I couldn't, I, d- I wasn't a fan of the Clementine Ford one. Mm. Um, and yeah, she's very good. She's um in her eighties now, and I saw an interview with her. She's so sharp. Oh, love that. Really, really um writes in a very literary way. Usually, female academics write in a way that's more interesting to me because I suppose they have that. Maybe you know, men are just so analytical. It's just here are the facts, here are the figures. But then, when I am reading a book, it's nice to have a mix of both. Yeah, yeah. Generally, I think uh, Esther Perel writes in a really – it's not – English isn't even her first language and she just writes in such a brilliant literary style that's also informative and I think she's a genius. I think she's really one of the um, most prominent intellectuals of our time. Yeah. She should start a cult. She should. I would join basically, it. Basically, it basically is a cult. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. Where I was like, we wouldn't join a cult if she was like, "I'm starting this, and I want you to join me." I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be there." I Use read everything. Um, uh, another one. Camille Paglia is yeah is very it's very intellectual the way she writes. So I even I struggled with it a little bit, but she's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. And I still actually, I actually have to read the one that I recommended you to read, the uh, Louise Perry one. But I've just listened. I just listened to a lot of the case against the sexual revolution. Yeah, Yeah. that's um, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that one gave me a lot of food for thought, and that's something that that had literally, thanks to you, Neil, that changed my perspective on a lot of things that I thought I was kind of like um, rigid on. Yeah, that one definitely was like, okay, this is actually. I'm so glad I came across this. Yeah, it was good. I learned a lot. I actually have to read that one. <laughs> so yeah, you I'm should. I it, like it. Um, yeah, she's fascinating, uh, her podcasts and things. But anyway, yeah. rather than just rattling off random books that we've read <laughs> over the last two years, how about we um, maybe how can we – I guess we kept this one a bit loose. What Do we have concluding remarks or what do we do to wrap this well, up? Let's not do a rose and a thorn. Let's just do like just a rose, like something that in the last three years reflecting on our podcast, what has been one of the most significant highlights for you? Significant highlights? Or positives. I, or just, I think everything I've, I've, I've learned, everything I've yeah. read, everything I've been able to discuss with you and, and change my mind on certain things and 
explore certain things from a different way and, and, and learn how to communicate in a different way as well and have a, 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 a flow of conversation that's more conducive to a open and mature discussion rather than a combative debate. Mm. But if I were to just name one thing, I don't think uh, – I still think for some reason the podcast we did on incels, which was number two, <laughs> that just stands out to me for some reason yeah. as a memorable one. Yeah, that was uh, I think one you did the you know what was also a memorable one the one about short guys <laughs> yeah can relate to yeah. that <laughs> and then the ones you when you've talked more about female sexual fantasies and things that's been extremely yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah um and then some of the ones that we've even gone into depth on the celebrity couples, they've been good. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed those. So we'll that, that, look, I've enjoyed all of them. But yeah. I wonder, uh, I'll, uh, all the listeners, what was your favorite? Because yeah. there's none that just dramatically pop out as this was the one, this was the best one yeah. we ever did. I don't think. I think there's a very gradual evolution of the podcast throughout three and a half years. And yeah. I think we've, uh, yeah, it's been a good journey. It's been nice. I know. Isn't it funny? Like when when we met, you were about to be or were already in an open relationship. I was single. Now you're coming to my wedding. <laughs> I have a baby. <laughs> like it's just crazy. Like there's a long time that we've. And in only three years. That's, that's yeah. a lot of life that happened yeah. in three years. Yeah, that was a big change that I definitely went through. <laughs> that was um, that was fun. Changed to my, that changed my mind more than anything. Yeah. That, was, that was a huge change of mind I had. And and I think I was susceptible to what I read in that intelligence trap, which was yeah. I think I was attracted to the idea of being enlightened. And thus I read all these books such as Sex at Dawn, thinking, Yeah, that is monogamy is a trap and it's yeah. a prison and it's restrictive and we can do things in a different way. And I like the idea of being this kind of social and sexual pioneer. Uh, and then that didn't work. And <laughs> I wonder if then the the Jonathan Haidt paradigm of, okay, I did, obviously it's a breakup and you go through a lot of negative emotion and thus my nervous system is now then influencing the way I perceive that and think yeah. about that in the same yeah. way someone who has experienced some sort of, and I'm not saying I'm, I wouldn't use the word trauma for me necessarily, but if someone yeah. has experienced that, then they're reluctant or hesitant to uh, uh, be close to things that uh, remind them of what they've gone through. And I wonder if that has impacted me. My, I'm sure it has, but to what extent? Mm -hmm. I, I think to quite a dramatic extent that the um, the emotional experience I had from that now impacts even the way I think rationally about it. Because I, you know, I like to think I'm a reasonably analytical guy, but I I did a full 360 on this issue, and in both yeah. situations, I think no, I'm being objective here. Yeah. So it was a very humbling experience where I I realized no, I don't think I'm objective. I think yeah. our uh, emotional experiences impact a lot of what we think and a lot of how we see the world. Yeah, you know, this reminds me actually of one good final kind of point I want to make um, is just to be aware to people listening 
of how much we can subconsciously or consciously dismiss or in, be influenced by, because it's kind of trendy, like evolutionary psychology and bring everything back to our tribe and hunting gathering days to explain this and like, well, women only want men that make money, whatever. Like um, I think take those things with a grain of salt. Although there is influence there, we've also evolved over tens of thousands of years um, and certain parts of our brain haven't and certain parts have, but we're not in the same circumstances then. So don't use it. This isn't related to you, just reminding me. Don't use it as an excuse to be for or against um, gender or whatever because as much as men could say, well, women only want people that are high status, then we could say, well, men, there's no such thing as a faithful man. It doesn't exist. It's a concept that's impossible or whatever based on this. So, yeah, just be conscious of those things that, yeah, things change. (laughs) We educate ourselves. We discuss things. Um, And, yeah, I think for me one of the, like, really – positive things has been I don't know if I have a favorite um I know which ones weren't my favorite yeah and I really liked I didn't at the start because I was so in over my head but then I actually enjoyed being not an expert on the things like when you wanted to talk about like philosophical things or more like cultural or political things and at when those first started coming up I was like oh what the fuck <laughs> like what do I contribute to this I I this is not something I talk about that often um and I've really found that I enjoy those I think I'll miss that um because you would you are so you know so much about so much <laughs> it's it's wild and as much as you know having differing opinions and stuff has been had its pros and cons blah 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 I feel like now that when I go and interview other people, if I feel that they have the same view as me, whereas, you know, if I know them, there's a chance that they will, I feel like I'm going to be playing more of your role and offering that, well, I'm going to put in that devil's advocate or or whatever. So I think that'll be interesting. And also another big takeaway has been like, the ability I have to recall um, research studies that I can just bring out in conversations so often because I spent so many times looking at studies for back in the day when we would be like, let's talk about this topic. And then I'd have, we'd have a few days like now in the recent like year or months, we've been like the day before, should we do this? Yeah. Um, But being able to bring up a study on the spot and recall it, everything that happened. I like that. You're very good oh, that, at that. You've that comes up that. in a lot, yeah. yeah you, you always I love studies. Study just <laughs> I love research. Comes out yeah. um, re- <laughs> related to what we're talking about. So <laughs> yeah. that's good. We, to, we, that's that's really. Yeah. I'm glad that you've had that experience, and yeah. I um, would love to listen to future episodes where you are talking yeah. with someone, and maybe you do play yeah. that role of questioning them, and and yeah. And I I think people sometimes have a misunderstanding of what devil's advocate can do sure there are obviously some edgy boys who just want to tell you the most ridiculous opinion and and do that but what it's doing is it's testing uh how complex your ideas are and can they be held up to scrutiny it doesn't necessarily that mean that the other person actually disagrees with you they're just trying to one better understand people who might disagree with them but also it's 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 a test essentially it's uh yeah. seeing okay um when you when you 
when you say things like, all right, some people would say this, how do you respond to that? Some people would say this, how do you respond to that? And I think. Exactly. Like, and the best example of that, like off the top of my head, we were just talking about that Louise Perry, the case against the sexual revolution. Whereas before you brought this idea to me, I was going on and on about it's really important to be a sex positive person and sex positivity benefits everyone. And although I still hold some of that belief, I also now hold the belief that it also disadvantages people. It puts pressure on women in particular to be like, yeah, I'm down with anal or open relationships or casual sex and this and that where it's not or it's all about, you know, there is that societal pressure with sex positivity to be cool with everything and to not be, you know, just a simple (laughs) vanilla uh, not wanting to sleep around type of person. So that was, um, I think that was like the perfect devil's advocate for me, like ever. The, the most uh, impactful statement that she makes is how, not that just this is bad because there's plenty of people who will say sex positivity is a net negative, yeah. but she says, oh, it benefits men. Yeah. And I think that's how it has yeah. uh, influenced yeah. a lot of women who might have otherwise yeah. not yeah. been open to that. Yeah, point of view. that's probably what sold me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, she's right. Another one to the list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if there's much more to. I, I look. I'm I'm really um, glad that you're going to continue on the podcast, and I hope everyone would still, even if they're fans of me or like what I have to say, I hope that they would still be open to uh, what uh, the the direction that you take the podcast. And yeah. whichever guests you may bring on, um, whichever Reddit stories you might uh, <laughs> yeah. explore. Uh, yeah. And just want to say thank you as well because, you know, when I started this, I was looking for someone who's pretty much exactly like you. I was like, I need someone. I want to do a podcast where there's a man and a woman rather yeah. than all these toxic podcasts where there's just two dudes or two girls yeah. staying in their echo chamber. And I didn't want it to be a comedian. I wanted it to be someone who's yeah. very educated and well-informed on the issues and you've been an incredible podcast guest for three and a half years and it's been incredible uh discussing all these things with you and i hope the listeners have enjoyed it as well i'm i'm sure they have and you know i wish you all the best with the podcast and um i'm sure i'll come on as a a guest every now and again for sure and i have no doubt that you're gonna take it in a very positive direction and yeah. you are going to it's going to be the biggest podcast in the world i've no doubt <laughs> about that and um really looking you forward no to, to what you do with it and i'm i'm really also just happy and and glad that it can continue on and there will yeah. still be a sex sales podcast and you'll take the reins and, and yeah our get, baby's get growing out of it yeah daddy's exactly. going away for a little bit <laughs> he might be back yeah that's <laughs> right going yeah. out to get some milk <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right going out to <laughs> get yeah. some milk gonna become yeah thank you just being a comedian so yeah <laughs> yeah it's um it's been so fun and I, I actually can't believe it's been this long but yeah i hope um some people still stay on i think that it's definitely going to change directions a little bit and that that could be a good thing could be a bad thing we'll see i'm just gonna go with the flow see what happens but yeah send me any suggestions questions ideas whatever or if you want to come on let me know um but yeah thank thanks thank you to neil uh obviously i wouldn't be here without neil and um it's been yeah it's been really fun I'll uh, I'm sure one day we'll just end up in a two-hour debate somewhere. <laughs> and we always say debate, a healthy discussion. That's it. 
nuance and reflection exactly on something it. else. <laughs> yeah. On TV or something, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and and how about do you are you gonna take a break or anything like that? Or are you gonna get straight into posting? I don't think I'm gonna podcasts? take much of a break. I, I gotta keep it going, I think. So right. if I do take a break, I mean my wedding's in three weeks, so I shouldn't say I'm not taking a break, just in case I do. But I'll be back. Um, I'm not sure. It wouldn't be more than two weeks if I do take a break, but I don't think I will. If I can figure out how to upload though, that's gonna be <laughs> no, I'm sure I'll be talking to you in like three days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine I'm just on the next one like, ah, oh, she didn't know how to upload, so I'm here. I'm back. <laughs> the, the, I'm, the, the, I'm the tech guy now. <laughs> we might uh, we might not be – you might not be posting videos on YouTube. So yeah, uh, no. if you are watching on the YouTube channel, uh, it's probably just going to be audio for at least the foreseeable future. And then, you know, maybe – Eliza will come back on YouTube one day, but for yeah. just the time being, um, it'll just be audio. Probably won't be posting too many clips or, or worrying no. about the socials to begin with as well. Yeah. Just getting in the habit of uploading. Yeah. And um, yeah, once again, guys, thank you, everyone, especially if you've listened to every single podcast. I really do hope you've enjoyed them, even if you've disagreed with some things I've said. And I'm sure I've said some things that weren't entirely uh, accurate and you know i'm 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 not perfect in that sense but all i've tried to do is uh find some common ground between i guess two sides of the one aspect of this modern culture war but also just have fun friendly chats along the way um yeah. i hope you've all gotten something out of this and been entertained and and enjoyed oh. the podcast while you've uh you've been going to work or working out or whatever it may be and and it's always yeah, really nice to hear that couples listen to it and um i think that's really nice and yes goodbye everyone uh you can still find me on all my socials and um like i said i'm sure i'll be back soon doing some guest appearances (laughs) and come to a comedy show (laughs) neilkalhacker.com that's it that's it i'll probably still be saying that just because it's so like ingrained in my brain (laughs) should you check out neil's shows yeah uh sponsor of the podcast just imagine that (laughs) <laughs> um, all right. So for the for the last album, maybe you'll be using the same jingle, but um, I won't see you next week. But yeah, Eliza but I will. will. So hopefully. see you. Bye. See you soon, guys. <laughs> <laughs>